You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Hope you've been having a killer week so far. I most certainly have been. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just really enjoys craft beer, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 370 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their life and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you would encourage one of your craft beer enthusiast friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today's episode is a special one. It was recorded last Saturday here in Montreal at Turbo House at the four-year anniversary party for Vox and Hops. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 376 with Sébastien Croteau of Necrotic Mutation and the Monster Factory and Pascal Germain Berardi of Tafal and Growler's Choir. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. What's up, everyone? Here we are at the four-year anniversary party for Vox and Hops. Make some fucking noise! I am joined by two amazing musicians, sort of the opposite of the field, if you want to say, but uh, not completely. We have Sébastien Carato of Necrotic Mutation, The Monster Factory, La Fabrique des Mons, Pascal Germain Berardi, uh, the conductor of Le Temps Fall, conductor of Growler's Choir. He's also a death metal vocalist, a classically trained vocalist. Extreme vocals versus classical vocals is how I've been showcasing this conversation. I would love for you guys to introduce yourselves just a little bit. Tell everyone a little bit more about yourselves. Now, Kratto, you're a four-time Vox and Hops alumni. This is the fourth time you've been on the podcast. You were on the podcast back on episode 13. You were on the podcast episode 339. You were on the Brutal Montreal episode. This is going to be Vox and Hops episode number 376. Tell everyone as if they don't know who you are. Give them a little bit more information about yourself, please. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? Uh, well, my name is uh, Sebastien. I'm a death metal vocalist. I've been singing death metal since 1990. Anybody was born <laughs> before? <laughs> I was. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so I was singing before you were born. Uh, yeah, I started uh, singing in a band called actually Cervical Slot, but Slot with a O, not a <laughs> U. <laughs> you couldn't convince your mother no, 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 to the, say it. <laughs> the difference is important. Um, and then in 1993, I started to sing in a band uh, called Necrotic Mutation uh, until probably 2000. Then we took an 18-year break. You had to mature. You had to mature. <laughs> you had to become legal drinking age in Quebec. Yeah, but we took an 18-year break, and we came back in 2018 to do a show in Heavy Montreal, and then we, we got the piqûre again, right? And then we, we started, so we're now we're, we're actually working on the production of a new album. So like 20-something years in the making. Um, and I'm also doing, uh, since 2007, uh, 2005, actually, uh, voice acting. So Creature, Monster, 
um, in video games. Uh, first game was Far Cry Instinct, and then I did a couple of Assassin's Creed 2, Prince of Persia. And one of the last I did is actually the shirt I'm wearing. So Gotham Knights, if you play the game, I'm the voice of the man bat. Almost got Batman, but no. So close. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me the man bat instead uh, and a couple of other things. So, so yeah. And now the Monster Factory, we have a hundred and something metal vocalists around the world in 16 countries. And it's going good. Congrats to you, Pascal. A little bit about yourself, please. Yes, well, hello, everybody. This is my first time on the Vox and Hops uh, podcast, so thank you for uh, the invitation. So as, uh, as said, my name is uh, Pascal Germain-Berardi. Uh, I've been a musician for most of my life. My very, very first concert, I was three years old. It was in 1989. <laughs> wow. I played Jingle Bells on the piano. Hell yes. At three years old, so that's impressive. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> everybody got uh, everybody got into Satanism just after it. <laughs> uh, afterwards, I started a, a boys' choir, which is called Petit Chanteur du Mont Royal. I did this from uh, nine years old until seventeen. Then I uh, I started the Cégep, and then the, I stopped doing boys' choir, and I really got into metal. This is during all those years I I really developed my love for metal, and uh, a few years after I came back to music but in the classical uh, in the classical uh, music I've had a bachelor in uh, voice I have a master in composition and I recently finished a PhD in orchestral conducting too and uh, I've been living professionally as a musician since 2009 around I've lived as I lived as a professional chorister for a, for a long while I sang with uh, the Montreal Symphony with the Montreal Opera also Notre Dame Basilica because uh, God still has a lot of money so he pays for me <laughs> singing at masses <laughs> And uh, throughout all this, I also had a, a metal band, which was called Archetype. Uh, we released an album, we released a video clip, and uh, most critics around my album were saying, like, imagine a fireworks house catching fire with a mental... <laughs> with a, a singer, which is like a demented mental patient during his worst day, which are two very cool things to get told when you're a metal band. <laughs> and uh, here I am today, ready to speak with uh, Mr. Sebastian right here. Hell yes. I have to say, I was also a choir boy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> See, we're, dig we're peeling back the layers yeah. already, people. Be be before, before singing metal, I actually was a choir because I was born in Quebec. And uh, uh, I, I had the very religious early years in the sense that I was going to school and nuns were actually teaching me. And we got to play flute, clarinet, trompette, guitar, piano, and all that. We had a musical education. And the only way to actually see girls when I was eight or nine was to <laughs> sing in the choir. <laughs> Because it, it was only a, a school for boys. So I, I did this for love. <laughs> Which is something that I love. <laughs> Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, while sharing a craft beer. We have a glorious beer in front of us right now. This is the brand new Vox and Hops collab, which was created by Sankim Baron, called Ossuary, killer fucking label designed by Philip Ivanovic, flat bathtub, if you guys don't know who he is. Uh, this is a special beer. It's a beer that I pitched uh, Sankim Baron the idea of doing. They've never done it before. They've made lots 
of IPAs. Uh, they actually won the best brewery of the year for the Vox and Hops Beerism uh, BAOS uh, Top 10 Quebec Brewery list that we had last year, and Cinque Bado was the first fucking winner of that, uh, and I love them. So I pitched them the idea of doing a beer with Phantasm. Now, Phantasm is an extract from grape must, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon grape must to be specific, from New Zealand. So there is basically no hops in this. There's some hops. There's no dry hop. So you see a lot of these IPAs. It's all called double dry hopped IPAs. This one has none. So it was very cheap on the hops, very expensive on the Phantasm, though. Um, it's 6.5%. I'm going to crack this. I'm going to pour it out. And um, let's do a cheers, and then we'll keep going from there. If you like to smell your beer, it smells really good. It fucking does. Cheers. Cheers to you all. Cheers. Woo. Cheers. It's juicy. It's fruity, it's smooth, it's not too bitter because it's really, hops are really used to bitter a brew because when they do the whole boil section of it, it's, if you've ever tasted that original before they hop a beer, it's so goddamn sweet, which is why they use the hops to bitter it. So stoked to be hanging out with you both. Let's jump into something now. Sebastian, you've told me that uh, your first beers already, you told me that they were probably shitty Labatt's or Molson that you, you paid someone older than you to uh, to buy for you. So I'm curious, since the last time I had you on, which I believe was in early spring, uh, has your craft beer palate evolved at all? You mentioned you had ulcers, which is why you're drinking less, is what you said last time. So I'm curious if anything has changed over the summer. Uh, well, the thing, one of the few last craft beers that, that I actually uh, drank was, you know, when we did the beer with, uh, with Vox and Ops. Oh, yes. The, the, the La Mutant, the yes. beer for Necrotic Mutation. I think there was 500 beer that was made, and we bought 250. <laughs> see, see? <laughs> Le Presbytai was really happy with that deal. Yeah. <laughs> so in my kitchen, uh, and you know, on top of one of uh, one of my uh, mes armoires, I have like all the beers. The empty cans. Yeah, the empty. I kept it. Amazing. I, yeah, I, I I couldn't throw it. There's the name of my band I on know, it. Yeah. I was like, I cannot throw it. I don't want to throw it. So, so yeah, since then, uh, well, that's probably the, where the ulcers came from. <laughs> I don't know. But no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not a huge drinker now because of that. I'm being really careful. Uh, usually I enjoy craft beer while I'm with you. Mm, that makes me happy that yeah, I'm a good influence yeah. on you such as that. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but yeah, but no, no, for, for me, like once in a while, I, I enjoy, but right now I'm, so, I'm, I'm mostly mellow. And yeah. Pascal, uh, well, tell me about your first beer experience. Remember the first beer that you drank? I started late drinking because my, uh, my father always had problem with, problems with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So I started smoking a lot younger, but uh, I started the drinking more around 17. And uh, it took a long while for me to develop my love for beer. Uh, Yeah, it took a, it took a couple of years. I'd say more more during nineteen twenty. This is where I really catched up. Uh, the first ones this is probably like what what was the name? The Bull Max. Bull Max. Oh. So you went for you went for like 
quantity yeah, over quality. Since I didn't like beer, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to take the thing that's going to smash me as fast as possible, as cheap as possible. So this was my motto for a couple of years. Mm. Uh, did you ever fall into the, the rabbit hole that is craft beer enthusiasm? Uh, I think we could say that during the first years, yes. Amazing. I like that. Um, I would love to... We heard about earlier that the choir is where you discovered your voice. You played a piano recital at three years old. Uh, at what point did your voice become such a big part of your lives, starting with you, Pascal? Uh, I mentioned I had done like boys choir when I was younger, but uh, when, I, when I graduated from that in the fifth year of high school, I, I wasn't questioning myself on where I wanted to, if I wanted to go into music or not. I was, uh, I was like the first of my family to uh, finish high school, actually. So there was a lot of need for me to like learn about uh, social structure and the human mind, the human psyche, just to like understand myself, understand where I came from, because also from my neighborhood, like nobody finished high school ever or mostly not. I, I came from uh, Saint-Henri when it was... Uh, when it was still a mostly French neighborhood, and uh, like the the uh, the dropout statistic were statistics were among the the highest in the whole Canada, and uh, so I had like the, the, this like dire need of like understanding the human and the the human the human psyche and the like the the, the uh, social inequalities and stuff like that. So I've been into uh, I studied uh, psychology and sociology at uh, university. After a couple of years, when I like started to get a, the, the kind of knowledge that I wanted out of that, this is where I had my big flash that I wanted to become a conductor. Uh -huh. And knowing that I had done my, uh, my boys' choir uh, when I was young, I knew that my voice was the fastest way to get there. Mm -hmm. So I, I entered the... I took some uh, voice lessons, and then I got into uh, my bachelor in singing, and the... Th Things uh, things started from there, and uh, at the same time, since I was such a huge metal fan, well, I started my metal band too. In tandem, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sebastien, for yourself, at what point did voice become such a big part of your life? Well, I think it was always a big part of my life, and I realized that years after, you know, that I've started doing death metal and throat singing, um, but I just remember... Uh, uh, listening to the cartoons when I was younger and and you know for me that was not the hero or like boring like all the evil guy had the most <laughs> interesting voice and That's I remember true. like uh, he was not evil but Cookie Monster <laughs> like for years for Cookie for me I was like wow I love this guy and then Commander Cobra yeah. if you remember the voice of Commander Cobra hey Cobra Let's fight the G.I. Joes! He was, he was fucking doing fry screaming, you know, back in the days. And, and, and so, and Skeletor, the kind of evil laugh. So all the voice for me were, were really like something. And I, I still remember to this day, like most of the lyrics from the cartoon that I was watching. I could actually sing the lyrics from Candy, but I won't. <laughs> 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 you know Gandhi? No, but Obey I can have... the Gandhi, come down to the pay. I'm not, I'm not. That's it. Merci, Sébastien. <laughs> but then after, you know, I uh, um, started singing in a choir, and when I arrived at Rimouski, uh, there was actually girls in my class, so I no longer needed to sing <laughs> in a choir. <laughs> But there was an a girl that I was in love with, and her boyfriend was listening to metal music. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you think I did to become interesting <laughs> to her? I become to listen to, to, to listen to, to metal music. So again, Girls, I did it for, for love. love. <laughs> a thematic is building people. I love when that happens in a conversation. Yeah. So I started to sing death metal at the age of 15. Uh, first demo in 1992, actually. But, but I started singing in 1990. Um, and then... You know, probably around 96, 97, started to do throat singing. Uh, uh, mostly first, the first year by myself. So I was, so I was not really good <laughs> at it. And then uh, actually the girlfriend of my drummer, Necrotic Mutation, found an article in Shotlin about... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For people that don't know what Shotlin is, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a female... Uh, driven magazine for youth, basically. Yeah. For, yeah. for for you, we'll show you a woman, woman, okay. young woman. And then I called the guy, started to have throat singing lessons with him, uh, and I did like a lot. I even had a band back in '98 called the Globe Glotters. Yes, he did. Where we did a lot of different world music mixed with throat singing, mixed with death metal voice, mixed with. I was in even. I was even doing a, the voice of a geisha. In one of the songs, I, I was really out there. I just wanted to explore my my voice as much as possible, um, and then I got into Ligue d'improvisation musicale Montréal, which is the still existing today. So I was doing a lot of improv for five years, what I really loved because it was putting me out of my comfort zone. Because you know, when we play show in metal music, we re, we rehearse a thousand times the stuff we're going to present to people. That's true. So for that, I was like, holy shit, I need to improvise stuff. But I really love that. The, the, the drive that we get from improvising something. And when it's good, it's like, oh my God. When it's bad, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> when it's good, you, you get an adrenaline rush that, that, is, that, that is rare. In, in, you know, I've, I, I never really had it in metal. Yeah, it's not the same. Then 2005, doing voices for started to do voices for monsters. So for me, like even the young, young, my younger year until now, I'm 47 and I'm still discovering stuff about the voice. That's what I like. Like that, there's, I, I, I don't think I will ever stop discovering things. But uh, yeah, this has been, you know, the voice, the voice, the voice, the path of your life. Yeah, I agree. It's an infinite uh, discovery. Uh, last uh, last spring, I had to redo my auditions to stay in the uh, Montreal Symphony Choir, and I took a couple of lessons with uh, a teacher at McGill. And for 70 minutes, we were only working on ah. Uh. It was ah, uh, a little bit more there. Ha, 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 ha. Just for an hour. And I discovered so much just doing freaking ah. Uh. I do that a lot when I do video games. <laughs> We have to do 20 different variations of pain, and usually it's ah, ah, oh, ah, ah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> No, I'm joking, but, but it's true. I think we, 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 and that's the thing, when people are driven by the passion of the voice, we, we never stop discovering stuff. For me, even like just fry screaming, that was not something I've never done like four months ago. And actually a lot of my students were asking me like, so I got into it and I was able to do it. And, and I was like, oh, holy shit. Okay, I can, I can actually, well, well. And now it's, it's a new me, tool. So it's <laughs> you, you, already, you must have already been doing it though. No, no, not really. Not really. It's very different from, from high, let's say, you know, in, in power metal. The, yeah! That is like That's a belt. up there. Yeah. But, but with fry screaming, you have a lot more compression on the larynx. Like, yeah! 
Mm-hmm. Kind of, so it's kind of, you, you, you got this feeling of choking that you have a little bit to put inside the larynx. I was like, I, w- I wasn't comfortable with that before, but now I was like, holy shit, I'm, I need to try it. And, and other stuff too, like the uvula. Mm-hmm. I didn't know we could actually vibrate the uvula. And I discovered, do you know, I, I know it sounds dirty, but the uvula. <laughs> 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 the uvula actually, uh, a little thing. You know, beyond the uh, so, so I discovered that we can actually vibrate it. And the thing is, it's not new. Peter Collin did it for the voice of Predator before it was sound design. You know, he was doing the so the and I discovered that with a friend. She was actually asking me, like, how the fuck can you do that? And I didn't know. So I took while being on Zoom, of course, I took the light of my cell phone. And I put the light in there, and I was like, and she was looking, oh, look at that. It's vibrating. I was like, oh, it's uvula vibration. So, yeah. And I discovered that very recently. So the thing is, we always discover stuff. Uvula vibration is a thing, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the meat of it. Extreme vocals, clean vocals. Are there similarities? Are there differences? What what is the science that separates these two techniques? Am I going first? Yeah, yeah. go for it, Pascal. Well, I'll, I'll tell a little bit like like my personal experience uh, being able to do both. As a classical singer, what you what you're looking for is like always to maximize the space inside your body because when you're singing, whether it be uh, whether it be like clean singing, classical singing, or like rock singing, or uh, or uh, metal singing, it's always a question of the, about you're making your body vibrate, and uh, it's always max. It's always like optimizing the space inside your body to be able to get the best sound possible. So in classical music, you like it. You go back on the pharynx, you go, huh, a little bit here, ha, huh, huh, a little bit here, and then you have a whole, whole voice, and then you, you do, uh, with your vocal cords, you can play, ha, and uh, sorry, I'm not supposed to have a, my, a, a mic for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the metal singing, I find it is... Uh, the the question of space, how you manage the space, it's really super similar. If I do ha or wow, there's basically the same thing happening with my body, but the vocal placement is not necessarily the same. So one is my vocal cords are like vibrating, and the other my vocal cords are rubbing, and this is this gives the kind of per- percussive sound. The that we can have versus the ha, ah, which is simple vibration, and uh, that's pretty much it. And it is really uh, the uh, the metal thing is really like attached to like being angry and stuff because no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the vocal the vocal cords rubbing naturally uh, happens when we're pissed and we get tense, and uh, then our vocal cords start to rub. And uh, this is why it's like on the effect, it's associated with anger. But uh, the goal with the the metal singing is to keep the uh, keep it really mellow. And this is like the control that you need to learn if you if you're doing metal singing. No, it, 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 I was joking. It's true that vocal distortion is actually associated with anger and pain. 
You know, because when you get angry, hey! and when you itch yourself, ow! And every time there's, you know, vocal distortion involved with that. And most of the comments that I heard throughout the years with from, from people that are not metal fans, but coming to my Don't concert. Don't you hurt yourself when no, you're is doing that? that? No, no, that, that's it's like, you look so angry. So anger, yeah. or, oh my God, it must hurt so bad. So it's always associated with those two, two, two kinds of two kinds of emotion, and it's kind of normal because this is what we naturally do. But the thing is, for me, like vocal distortion, even babies can do it. Mm-hmm. We were all born metal vocalists. If you listen to babies, like Am I reminding yourself that you have a baby at home <laughs> and you need to get home early? <laughs> Sorry for that. No, but the thing is, I, I think the main difference is it's not how we use the instrument. It's mostly the vibration and the way we produce vocal distortion. Because everything else, like a lot of people, when I teach uh, a vocal distortion, a lot of people want to learn how to do distortion, but they forget that you need to have a good voice behind the distortion, because if you take out the distortion, if I go like, uh, right, uh, there's my voice behind it, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, I want to learn how to do distortion. Well, you must be a good singer first, mm-hmm. you know, because your voice is 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 behind there. Um, and as for the rest, it's mainly for me, the main difference is how we make stuff vibrate. Mm-hmm. And we, in, in, in metal, we have a vibration kind of, I could say a periodical vibration on the vocal cords, which is basically associated with fry screaming, Yay! or even with power metal. Yay! So that is actually a, a distortion that we get on the vocal cords, but also we can use our false vocal cords. And the thing is with false vocal cord is, is also, again, you know, with, well, we're talking about anger and pain, false vocal cords are usually triggered when we vomit. Mm-hmm. Or when we cough. So when people start that, they're usually like, because uh, uh, um, the body remember it's not a really <laughs> good thing to to do. <laughs> so we can actually produce vocal distortion, but with a false vocal cord, which are a little bit higher in the in the larynx. Um, but I would say, apart from that, like there's you know even throat singing where there's also different vibration pattern. Uh, but apart from that, it's fairly similar. You need to have an amazing voice behind the distortion to be a good metal vocalist, and you need to have an amazing voice in itself to be a good cl- uh, a classical singer. Main difference is only being the distortion. And I'm always saying that, like for me, like people who did classical music four or five hundred years ago, if they were here today, I'm pretty sure they would be doing metal music. Which is exactly where I was going. Why yeah. were <laughs> their classical singers? 400 years ago, but no one was screaming. Well, I'm sure they were screaming, but there was no recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what is your take on that? Why, why has it taken, why has it been the last 30, 40 years, let's say, that the human culture has discovered extreme vocals? I think it goes a little bit from uh, where classical music comes from, because uh, classical music was born in the in the really high aristocracy with kings and queens and uh, high political spheres and th- this and this is like in the 1600s 1700s 
because it was the only type of music that was written and that we were having like encyclopedia about because uh, since most people didn't know how to read uh, everything that was happening in like the common folks the common people it was only like uh, mouth to ear mm -hmm. so we we have really few of that like Uh, music from those times and we have a lot of the, the, the really high aristocracy music and things started to change in the uh, 1800s which is uh, which goes with uh, the siècle des lumières which there where there was a big uh, uh, democratization when we had this uh, like when there was a French revolution in uh, 1789 and afterwards this is where we started to have like conservatory schools uh, where everybody could go and learn music. And this is when we started to have uh, musicians like Beethoven or Wagner or Hector Berlioz who were trying to push things that the high aristocracy had never tried to push before. And with the, uh, and with like uh, everything happened post French Re revolution, a lot of more people could go to school and learn to read and stuff. So the, the, the things like new ideas could really, could really propagate uh, in a easier way. And this is where like the passion inside the music really started to get off with the whole romantic period. And, uh, After we just have to go through like 20, 30, 40, uh, 100 years later, because then we started to have blues and with the blues, we started to have uh, the uh, the concept of a riff, the concept of grow, like this started to happen. And uh, with all then throughout the 20th century, the metal metal bands really started to grow in the uh, in poor neighborhoods or, or like in oppressed neighborhoods. Like, even if you go to see a band like Metallica, they appeared in the poor neighborhoods of California, those poor neighborhoods that don't really exist anymore because, like, California has changed so much since the 1980s. But the, uh, the, that's the point. Like, metal bands really started to pop out from uh, poor neighborhoods or where uh, people were living, like, a certain amount of oppression. That, so there's, like, this kind of... Revolt, and it's it is the the kind of things that could not happen socially, like in the 1600s or the 1700s. So that's a little bit my take on it. For me, I would go with uh, the 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 um, what I think uh, uh, the difference between troll singing and metal voices. Um, troll singing has been there for longer than we can actually know. Uh, uh, um, actually, when you learn a bit about the issue of troll singing. You you can hear uh, actually Tibetan prayers in Mongolian throat singing. So that means like there were Tibetan backs in there in Mongolia teaching people how to do that stuff. But they actually did it in their own way because mostly Tibetan music is really spiritual in nature. And Mongolian and Tuvan music, it's really like, you know, if they have a herd of sheep, they're, you know, they're going to do a, a song about the herd of sheep, <laughs> the sky, the nature, the mountain. And if you look here, up north, in with people, it's song about nature, song about a seal, song about uh, the snow, song about, you know, a lot of things that relates to nature. And for me, metal music, when I, when I look at that, because there's a technical relation between throat singing and, and, and metal voices, and I'm not going to dive into that, but for me, there is. Um, and the thing is, when you look at metal music and how instead of being spiritual or connected to nature, it's really like we are 
actually focusing on describing horrors in the world that that the and for me the way also that the vocal cords or the false vocal cords are used very differently like the way that we use it in throat singing it's a very synchronized way of using the vibration the vibration pattern is synchronized when you look at metal voices the vibration pattern is desynchronized so for me metal is mostly and particularly the voice is what i would say that refers to the stress of modern time that we are not synchronized to the world anymore and that's why the difference between you know throat singing where there's in spiritual and, and in nature and related to nature and metal is not about that at all it's uh, about being bombarded with stuff and 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 with fucked up things and the, that's why for me the vibration pattern is desynchronized it's to symbolize that we are no longer in synchronicity to nature and to the world holy shit i like that i like that very much mind blown you got your mind blue right on to conducting you conduct classical musicians you conducted growlers you conduct monsters yeah it's very similar my question is which group takes criticism the best <laughs> I would say none, but <laughs> you go first, Pascal. Since you've, you've, you basically have dealt with both of them, every classical musician is a PTSD from a really harsh professor in his childhood, <laughs> so they can take criticism when they're adults. Ah. Wow. I found <laughs> usually metalheads have really huge egos and they're not afraid to express it. <laughs> <laughs> Contrary to classical musicians. Interesting. So uh, you can get more uh, more resistance. <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't had the pleasure to conduct classical singers. But I would say that, you know, sometime even, in, let's say, in a recording session and, and I'm the voice director and I say, do this. Like, no, I don't want to do this, but I, I should go like that. And I'm like, shut up. I ask you to do something, do it. And I've got that with sometime with metal vocalists, but it's rare. Most of people like they, 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 I don't, I, I, I know there's a lot of people with ego in the metal scene, but I'm lucky because I, I, I have the pleasure of not working with, with people that I think are like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so for me, it's, it's, it's a good thing. But yeah, I do believe that, you know, when you are, and especially in metal, and that's the difference between, you know, being a metal vocalist and doing voices for monsters, being doing metal vocalists, you know, you're, you're under the spotlights, you know, you go eat and you post it on Instagram. But when you're a voice actor, that's the kind of thing you don't do when you record stuff. You have to keep a secret for two, three years. It's true. Uh, so so we, we live in the shadow and we have to live in the shadow and we come up only to light when we can announce the project. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people... Not a lot, but a couple of people have had a hard time going from, I'm a metal vocalist and I'm a voice actor and I'm going to post this shit everywhere. I only had a few people doing that, but most of, most of the, the, the metal vocalists that are doing voice acting understand that. And especially because they could be sued. <laughs> <laughs> so they understand that very well. <laughs> what are the major differences between conducting something versus 
being a part of something, being a musician? Well, it depends on the type of music you're doing. Because in, in, the, in the classical realm, if you're doing music with a conductor, uh, where it be orchestral or choir music, like the one who decides what's the tempo, the one who decides like where do you get the more intense in a song or where is it more mellow, how much do you slow down, how much do you push... The conductor has to make all those decisions, whether uh, when you're in a band, it's really different because like when you're a band, if you're four people, everybody has his uh, spot at some point. So you can be like, you can decide what you do with your spot. And there are a lot of things that are like common ground. So there's like this kind of dy dynamic that develops with a band. Like everybody has his little moment there and we're together for this and that, which is really different. And you will have this in chamber music for uh, classical music too, when you're like a uh, string quartet or a wind, qu uh, wind quintet, it's going to be the, the, the same kind of thing where everybody has his little moments and uh, other times we have to regroup. So that it really depends on the, it depends on the size of the music you're doing. With a conductor, it's usually you need a conductor whether because the music is super hard when you have like 10 musicians and you need someone to like show the traffic what's going on or if you have music with a huge group well it's just easier for to have like one person who makes all the decisions and who who uh, who goes fast because for for a rehearsal process for a concert you know uh, especially in classical music you uh, musicians cost so much so that you have like three, four rehearsals for a concert and like sometimes nobody nobody ever played the piece. You only have three rehearsals for the piece. So like the conductor really must know where he wants to go, what he wants to do and everybody has to like follow suit which is really different with a band or a chamber music where it's more intimate, you can take more time and you can decide more things and uh, as I said everybody can have his moment and Everybody has to regroup for certain parts too. How about for yourself directing? When I, I consider what you do when you are conducting recording sessions for the, the video games yeah. and everything you do. No, I was going to add something real quick for me. And uh, with a metal band, it's mostly the drummer who's the conductor because if the That's drummer true. is lagging, we have to lag with the drummer. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And if a drummer is going too fast, we have to follow the to drummer try to keep because up with we the look drunker. fucking weird. So for me, the. <laughs> <laughs> the drummer is he's wrong, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna follow him anyways. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, no, the thing is, and, and that's where you see the difference, like being in the action and being being out of the action, is when you are in the action. There's sometimes a lot of things you cannot think about, like in video games. Sometimes we have to do twenty variation of a pain sound. Yeah, and at some point when you're in the action, you go ah ah. Ah, ah, and then you come back and lose. And, and the role of a voice director actually to to rem, like to say no, like you did ah, uh, uh, and then you can go ah, uh, e, ah, uh, e, uh, ah, uh, o, uh, and then o, ah, e, just yeah, it, it, it sounds weird. Okay, okay, I know it sounds weird. Let's say I, oh, ah, Those are all variations <laughs> we need to do in video games, and we yeah. have to do them quick. Uh, uh, but sometimes being in the action, we, f we, we, we forget that we don't have that, that space that sometimes we need to reflect like, okay, where am I? So that's why you need someone to actually like count all the, ah uh, <laughs> and listen to all the, ah uh, and make sure there's enough variation for, uh, uh, for it. Even me, when I do 
because I could probably self-direct myself, but I don't do it mostly. Ah. Be- yeah, yeah, mostly because when I'm in the action, there's stuff I forget, and I need someone else to listen to what I do and to say like, "Hey, do this, do that." So I never, I, I never necessarily do both role because I'm, I'm, I'm missing something if I, if I do both and I'm going to make an error and that happened in the past. That's why I don't do it now. Mm. So I make sure I have someone listening and having a, a distance from, from, from what I'm doing. Spicier question: Why is it when someone's a classical vocalist? Versus an extreme vocalist. Why is it seen as being better, as being more prestigious, let's say? If you sing for OSM, you're like, oh shit, he sings for OSM, I sing for Cryptopsy. It's like, okay, but he sings for OSM. For some reason, it's more impressive. Well, there's this whole story about aristocracy that I was talking about. Like, there's this rich history of uh, classical music being like 300 years ago 400 years ago it was done with uh for kings and for queens and for high uh higher social spheres politicians and stuff so there's definitely a history there and uh also there's clearly uh, a word that we can use institutionalized and therefore there is necessarily like more Either more money, more politics. Not that there's not in uh, metal circles, but uh, like it's it's because of high, it stays in a kind of social class at some point, and like it it stays stuck there. But uh, other than that, I'm not sure I would agree with the the point of like it's necessarily seen as better as being like because i feel th- th- those are two s- so different things because if i go in the mso choir like the, the the harsh things is like you have to go through an audition so you have to go and you have to like sing uh, three or four pieces and then uh, three or four pieces that you have to declare oh, i'm going to sing this thing by bach and this thing by by, uh, I don't know, by Puccini and this thing by Debussy. And then the, you know that the, the, the guys that are going to listen to you, they know those pieces. They know where their hard spots are. They're just waiting for you to get to those hard parts. It's like, oh, how are you going to manage them? And uh, then they give you like a sheet. Oh, here are a couple of notes. Read it now. Three, two, one, go. And the, you, you don't have any preparation for it. So there's like a big stress there. But once, once it's done and if you get into it, you're sure to have like a spot and you're sure to have like gigs and you're sure to have the money that comes with it. So like there's a huge stress to enter. The, but once, once you're there, you're like in the in the circle, in the system, which is super different when you're in a, when you're a singer in a band because with a band you have to constantly prove yourself, you have to constantly like work to get your gigs, you have to constantly work to get articles and you have to constantly work to get the uh, to get attention and uh, to get critics on your new albums and uh, you're constantly risking yourself because you're writing new music and people could hate that music. Like as a chorister, like, oh, I get hired for uh, something that is considered a super big masterpiece. So I'm not scared that people are not going to like it because it's, it's, it's a given. So like the, the, the relationship is so different with the, with the music. So uh, that's why I wouldn't try to compare those two too much because it's so different, the, the, the mindset that you need 
for one or for the other. Well, what's your opinion on this? The prestigiousness in society as a classical vocalist? No, no, I, I know in general people think it's more prestigious, but the funny thing is classical music and metal mix so well. Yes. <laughs> I know, yes. You know, black metal band and black metal music, you know, with, with violins, opera singer, and, 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 and you know, classical orchestras, it's like... They mix so well, so it seems like the prestigious and the dirty are mixing like, yeah. <laughs> kind of like the aristocracy that you were describing were, were a dirty bunch of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why there's kind of a good mix of, no, but I think it's the complexity of both music is, is, mm -hmm. is there. The complexity in terms of variation, in terms of speed, in terms of differences, the only thing is with metal, it's hidden be, uh, behind a wall of distortion, but it's there. When you pass that wall of distortion, you can actually listen to the complexity of metal music and all the, the harmonies and all the little notes and the variation. So I, I, I think that because classical music was there way, way, way before metal music, I, I, I think that the test of time make it more like, oh, they've been there for a long time. And that's maybe what we think of being more prestigious. But, you know, if humanity is still there in 400 years and there's still metal, metal Ben, I think we'll, we'll say the same thing. Oh, metal is so prestigious. I would hope so. I would yeah. most certainly hope so. Uh, there is a microphone right there set up so you guys can ask some questions. If there's anyone in the audience that would like to ask a question, come on over, Jorge. There's a microphone set up right there. And you have to scream the question. No, I'm joking. Uh, thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Pascal, for being here. Thank you, Matt, for putting this event together. It's fucking awesome. You're a Jorge. Um, so I know a lot of people, friends, acquaintances, and whatnot, that would like to sing or would like to grow. But they say, oh, there's no way. I will never be able to sing or I will never be able to grow. Do you think this is true? Or with the proper training, anyone can actually learn how to sing, how to do it, and how to grow? What do you think? I think that we could say like 99% of people can learn either to sing or to growl. I'd say 99% because there's always 1% uh, we could say. Uh, as a teacher, it did happen sometimes for me to, to fall on someone who like just couldn't recognize a pitch. Mm -hmm. And we passed like three, three one-hour lessons just trying to figure out his ability to, to hear pitches, and uh, I had nothing. So I felt super bad about it, and uh, I thought maybe, maybe it's my way of teaching, maybe it's uh, something, and I tried, I was trying with him, like, oh, is there any music that you like a lot? And then he, he comes with some music, okay, so... If you like that, like, can you try to sing me the the song? And then he tries to sing it. It's, it's all over the place. So I was like, mm. so I think there's a really, really small percentage that maybe they're, they're not like. I think we're, we're all super bad at something uh, in a, in our life. <laughs> so I think it, uh, music is not an exception to that. But I think that most people can uh, learn up to a certain point. Yeah, and I would say the same. I was doing the sound of a baby saying that vocal distortion, we know how to do it at birth. And at some point, we just lose that ability because of we learn language and we no longer need to scream. Uh, but it has definitely something that is possible to, 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 to learn. They're slow learner and fast learner, so it all depends. But we have all have vocal cords, false vocal cord, lungs, a mouth, a tongue, and a uvula. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
so we can well, we can learn that they get insult for me it's mostly a question of of uh, uh being persistent uh you know a lot of people sometimes i show them exercise and i know they're not really practicing it so of course it takes longer and sometimes i do show them and i know that they're really like practicing a lot so usually they get there faster so it's all about discipline uh, uh same thing as you know uh, uh being a classical little uh, a singer or metal vocalist it's for me the same discipline has to be the same in a sense right we uh, you have to be dedicated to what you do and i have to be dedicated to 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 what i do but in the end like we all have the parts that we need to do it so yeah thank you jorge any more questions from the audience here live at turbo house go for it Olivier from Les Lutins de l'Enfer. Yeah, thanks again for setting this up. It was a very interesting discussion. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my question is, I don't know if you've ever uh, had this experience, but when you try to uh, introduce metal to someone that doesn't necessarily know it already, they always like uh, don't like the vocals, you know? It's the first thing that uh, they, they don't like. Oh, they scream, we can't hear the lyrics, and... They're annoyed by it. So what's your answer to that argument? And how would you do to introduce someone? Usually when people say we don't understand the lyrics, there's a few Celine Dion song where we, <laughs> where we can actually not understand the lyrics. And if you listen to opera, it's all in Italian, right? So they don't understand the lyrics. So for me, not understanding the lyrics is not really an argument. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, Vocal distortion is is associated with pain and anger. So for some people that listen to that, all it reminds them is their own pain and their own anger. So of course it's hard, but you have to pass that wall of the of of uh, of distortion. So yeah, I would say let them eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'll open a, maybe a kind of Pandora's box here. Uh, th there was a, there was a couple of. Uh, There was a research that was done to try out uh, uh, the feelings evoked to people through metal music. And they discovered that people who loved metal music, when, when listening to it, were like, had like dopamine and adrenaline triggers that were just going out. And people that didn't like had like triggers of like like rejection that that, that were happening and uh, we really discovered that so there's like a way to like measure like genetically the uh, the, the difference and uh, to, to like measure if someone would be more proponent to like metal or to not or to, to reject it but you know it, it's one research there should be more to like confirm things and like to to identify there could be that and the other thing is um, because i had i've had had experiences that like go uh, that contradicts that too as uh, let's say my uh, my conducting teacher during my my phd he was someone who really really loved super intense classical music I'm going to drop some names, but like some Penderecki or some Shostakovich or some uh, uh, late Tchaikovsky or some uh, Richard Strauss also, which um, maybe things that you you haven't heard that much, but those things that like really have the intensity of metal music and really have the drive and the adrenaline of metal music, but it didn't have the vocals. Mm -hmm. And uh, when like trying to share... Mile for metal music, he like 
really hated the uh, because of the vocals really really hated that and I tried to like find a way like I found you know those uh, YouTube videos of someone playing the clarinet and he plays necrophagist mm -hmm. and he plays like all the solos yeah. and all the stuff and he hates bang playing <laughs> he loved that like like oh it's so good and he's and I also saw like a a metal arrangement of uh, the Rite of Spring which was done for electric guitars and drums there's no vocals there And uh, Stravinsky created Meshuga before Meshuga, <laughs> like 80 years before. With, with like a whole orchestra of like 80 people, so it's super, uh, it's super impressive. But uh, having with electric guitars, it really sounds like metal music. And he really loved that, uh, but there was no vocals. So I tried my luck with Martyr, mm -hmm. which is another band which plays with a tempo a little bit like Stravinsky does but with vocals and he hated that so i was like <laughs> trying to push the and final thing uh we talked about the growlers choir i uh, i wrote a piece for double choir which is for classical choir and uh growlers choir and he loved the piece oh, so amazing. there's uh, many contradictory <laughs> feelings that i you're, have you're, there you're, you're breaking them down is what's happening yeah <laughs> and the thing is even in, in uh, you know of course there's a lot of people who don't love uh, a metal because of the voice but in video game it's quite the contrary like a lot of people love the for me it's it's always been like revenge of the nerds for me Being able to make millions of people listen to death metal vocals yeah. Yeah. In, in video games and they love it. They don't know it's death metal vocalist, but they really love it. Another thing that I wanted to add to that, a couple of years ago, I did a play. Yeah, I did a play in uh, Sound du Terre d'Aujourd'hui. And it was a, a play called Jean Dix. And it was, you know, an official play, like, but they wanted a death metal band. And one of the things I was worried about is people's reaction to having a death. You know, we're not playing the whole play. You know, we're just, you know, some point where like, bing, 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 and then stop and then wait for a cues. Um, and, and I was kind of reluctant to, the, to, to, to some people, like their, their reaction. But I remember like probably the fourth or fifth night of the, you know, the, that we, we started the play. I went outside and there was like an 84. 80-something-year-old ladies that came to see me, and I was like, uh, are you the singer? No, no. She, she spoke in French, but I... And I was like, I, I was hesitant to actually tell her yes. And I was like, yes. Oh, my God, it was so good. Amazing. So that's the thing. After that, I was like... You know, metal music is not something you will necessarily listen when you are doing the dishes or, you know, whatever. And for a lot of people, they, they don't get to see it live. And for me, in order to understand it, you have to see it live. And all those people, there were like 5,000 people who got to see the play. Probably like maybe 500 of them were metal, you know, metal fans who actually came to see the play. But the rest of them were not. And they enjoyed it. And that's the thing. I was like, wow. So they got to see it live and they understood like the musicianship behind it and and the, the you know how, how awesome it is and, and there's actually only one person who actually got out of, <laughs> really yeah of the theater but 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 uh, you know she got up and she fell so oh. every, everybody 
everybody noticed and they were like, aha, aha. So, so for me, the thing is never underestimate the, uh, how people can be open-minded about it. Maybe they won't listen to it in terms of music, but if you can bring them to a concert and they can see the energy, they can see how, how amazing it is, maybe, maybe their opinion will be different. Amazing. Any other questions? Philippe de Vitesse, Whispers from the Void podcast. Go for it, bud. Uh, my question is simple. Uh, what are your biggest inspiration to do what you do right now? Uh, I can talk about artists that really inspire me. It's not a question of I aspire to be like them, but it's a, it's a question of I really admire like the level of... Uh, of their craft yes. and I really look up to that yes. I was a huge fan of strapping young lad and I love you already <laughs> this is the band I've like listened way too much in my life and uh, you know I was a huge 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 fan and I've listened uh, just because of the It wasn't like about like the technical aspect. It wasn't the speed. It was just the character. Nothing was like the personality of it. And this is what I really, really loved. Like the, here's proof that you don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the most virtuosic. You just have to have like the character that yeah. really creates well, yeah, yeah. The, the energy and the, the, the identity uh, of what yeah, Strapping yeah, yeah. Glad was. That's what I really, really loved about it. Otherwise, some uh, some classical composers are really, really loved, and it's always because they pushed boundaries uh, in relation to like where where the institutions of music were and where those people were pushing it. Uh, I know it's a cheesy choice, but when you when you can like sit down and measure the music and like s compare to other peers from the same period, there's just no questioning. Beethoven was such a freaking master of his thing, and uh, outside of it, there was Franz Liszt, which uh, uh, which was a pianist, which uh, I consider to be like the very first metalhead. Uh, Franz Liszt was a virtuosic pianist who lived in the 1800s and uh, you know in those time everybody was like five foot two five foot three Franz Liszt was six foot two he had long hair no but no guy had long hair and today pianos are made of metal because of that guy because before him pianos were made in wood and he would break down the pianos <laughs> because he was too intense playing Fuck it yes. and uh, if you if you listen to his uh, Sonata in B, which is like a 30-minute piano piece. There's so much metal in there. It's it's amazing. And uh, he did uh, a couple of pieces that really sound like someone who who's moving towards metal. Uh, uh, the the Faust Symphony, the uh, Totentanz, which is, which is Dance of Death in the uh, in English. Uh, I would say also Shostakovich really really loved. And uh, Panderetsky, and uh, outside of outside of this, I would say a couple of actors like Daniel Delay was always yeah. a huge fan of. He's mesmerizes me every single time I see him on a silver screen. So that's a some artists I love. Me, yeah, I have that with Margot Robbie. 
<laughs> She's great actress. Uh, so the question is musically or just in general? Just let's say in general, but like it's mostly like may you you are what you are because of some people, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I am what I am because of uh you know, I would say musically I I, I just to answer real quick that question would be like uh, I remember listening to Suffocation, Effigy of the Forgotten in 1991, and it was, I bought it, a cassette. <laughs> it was a cassette, and I remember playing that cassette to death. Like, like it, 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 I remember getting up on the bus every morning and just listening to Effigy of the Forgotten, like, for, until I got to the, to the school, and then same ride back. Uh, uh, but also, like, after that, even with all the brutal death metal, I would still go for Atheist, Cynic, and Death. Because for me, even today, the band that I listen to the most back to that era are still uh, Cynic, Death, and, and, and Atheist. Uh, uh, it, it was for me just an amazing mix of things. It was not only brutal death metal, it was something else, right? But I would say in general... The people that are uh, uh, really influential for me are actually uh, uh, my friends and the people in the Monster Factory. And, and I'll, I will say that mostly because those now for real. Nice, eh? Like, I'm going to say, like, there's one right, right. I don't know if she's there, Marilyn Landry. I've been singing for like, what, 20 years? Mary has been, uh, Marilyn has been, uh, has been singing. Uh, most of people in the Monster Factory uh, have dedicated their craft and their, their life to metal voices. So for me, I admire that so fucking much because, you know, it, 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 it's easy to get into something and just leave it there. You know, but those people have done that for years and years and years and years and years. And been like, you know, Cryptopsy, been like Cataclysm, been like what old fucking school and still there today. I have so much respect for that. Anonymous, Voivod, all of them. For me, I'm like, wow. You know, that's for me the sign that even passion doesn't bring you money. It brings you somewhere. So for me, I have uh, the utmost respect for all of them. Thank you so much. I love that answer. And Devin Townsend forever. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Fox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Turbo House. I would like to end this in a special way. <laughs> there are a lot of people here at Turbo House. Make some noise. Yeah! 
they have voices, as you all just heard. Can we conduct a zombie horde <laughs> with these wonderful people? And what, what is, is there? Yeah! Is there a way yes! to do this in a conductor yes! type way, where where some people are like highs, other people's are lows? I'll let you get creative with this as we go. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the thing is, with a zombie horde, as you know, you know, they're not allowed at the beginning. The zombie horde is usually slowly forming, right? So in order to have a real zombie horde forming, like let's say we start, okay, in the back. So people in the back will start doing zombie noise. Then when I do that, people in the middle will start zombie noise. Then when I'll do that, people in the front will do zombie noise. Then I will do a sign like this where you see a victim and you try to, you are getting excited right and when i do that you are actually eating the victim so i want to hear a lot of mouth and slurps right and after the victim has been eaten then you slowly going back for more so i will do that the first row will shut up that second row will shut up and that third row will shut up. So it will do, because I've already done that because we did a video. <laughs> so so we, we did a zombie horde. So, okay. So people in the back and, you know, zombie, just to tell you, there's two different way actually to do a zombie. Actually three. You can do a classical zombie. All right, or you can do a more modern zombie, <laughs> exhaling. Or if you can do it, you can inhale. <laughs> so whatever your choice of vocal technique, <laughs> you know, yeah. So choose your own. So we'll start. So don't forget that's the row. That's you find a victim and you're getting all excited. You're eating the victim, and now after that, you will just resume to your whatever activity you were doing before being a horde. All right? Are you ready? <laughs> Last row. right turbo house that was fucking incredible make some noise for yourselves 
That was absolutely fucking beautiful. And this is why I want to go to hell at the end of my days. Because <laughs> that's where the most interesting, interesting sounds are made, man. Sebastien Cato, Pascal, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me, talking about life, metal, craft beer, vocals, Turbo House, everyone here tonight. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. Uh, Michelle, Sergio, the rest of the Turbo House crew taking such good care of us. The night is young. It's not over yet. We have one of my favorite Montreal bass metal bands playing up next, the great Sabatini. Make some noise that. We're going to keep hanging out, everyone, but the podcast is over. You should have been here. Cheers. <laughs> Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome night. I had so much fun at the four-year anniversary party. Those that were there with me, you know how much fun we had hanging out, enjoying life, metal, and craft beer all night long in celebration of the fourth anniversary of Vox and Hops. Those of you that were not there, well, you missed out. It was an awesome, awesome time, and I cannot wait for the next party. I love conducting live interviews like this. I think it's amazing. It's a different dynamic having an audience be a part of a conversation like this, and I truly can't wait to do another one. I'm definitely going to. It's just too much fun not to. Massive thanks to Sebastien Pascal for being amazing guests, so insightful. I really, really enjoyed the conversation, and I just had a blast. Once we wrapped up this conversation, the great Sabatini played an amazing set, one of my favorite Montreal-based bands. So damn good, I just can't like them enough. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a month that will contain all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public, and I always have a lot of stuff going on. You will also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. Jerry has the ear for what's going on in metal. If you're looking for new music, the Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to. There is always a lot going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast, and I hate when you miss anything, so please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hospital podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer weekend. I will be back next week with one Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode on Tuesday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops hits. <laughs> Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.